unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my beautiful Lord's Day, Mother's Day. Thank you for making this part of your day. Back about six months ago, the congregation here started a study on leadership, and uh, Brother Ken has finished up with that series. Now we're looking for those men that have a desire to serve this congregation as elders and as deacons. And if you have that desire, we want, we want to know about it. If you would let one of our elders know that you have a desire to be part of the leadership of the elders and deacons, please contact one of our elders. This morning we come together to worship the Lord as we begin our time together, let's have a prayer. Our Father, we are so thankful to you for all of the many things that you do for us. We're thankful for the mothers that you have sent to us, and we pray that today we can give them the praise and respect that they deserve. Father, we're thankful for the congregation that meets here at Boonville. We're thankful that you have guided this congregation through so many years.
And we pray that you will help us as we're looking forward, as we're reaching forward to the, to the next generation, that they will come forward and be willing to serve this congregation and take it to places that we've never dreamed of. Be with us as we enter our time together this morning. Be with Brother Ken as he brings the message to us. Help us to always do what's right in your sight. These things we ask through the name of Jesus. Amen. The first song this morning will be The Lily of the Valley, 548. We'll sing the first and the third verse. Let's sing. I have found a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. The Lily of the Valley, in him alone I see. All I need to cleanse and make me fully Sorrow, he's my comfort, in trouble, he's my stay. He tells me every care on him to roll. He's the lily of the valley, a bright and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. He will never, never leave me, nor yet forsake me here. While I live by faith and do his blessed will. A wall of fire about me, I've nothing now to fear. With his manna he my hungry soul shall fill. Then sweeping up to glory to see his blessed face, where rivers of delight shall ever roll. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of song we'll be singing today is 10,000 Reasons. Let's sing. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your holy name. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning, it's time to sing your song again, whatever may pass and before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul. 
Kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we again thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us to come out and worship you and sing songs of praise. Father, we ask that you be with the military as we speak. Father, be with them, protect them as they protect us. Father, we also pray that you be with the ones of our congregation that are sick. Father, be with them and be with the ones attending their need. And if it so suits your will, Father, have them have that portion of health restored they so desire. Father, we thank you for all our mothers, for all the, the uh, sacrifices they made for us through our life. Father, continue to be with them and bless them. Father, we pray that you be with Ken this morning as he brings a lesson to us. May we listen attentively and in view of eternity. Father, we also thank you for your son, Jesus, who came and died on this earth for our sins. Father, continue to be with us, bless us, and forgive us when we fail you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The invitation song today will be, There's Power in the Blood. Uh, the song before the lesson today will be 898 Paradise Valley. Please stand if you're willing and able. Mm. 
Let's sing. As I travel through life with the trouble and strife of a glorious hope to give cheer on the way, soon my soul will be your, and I'll rest on that shore where the night has been turned into day. Up in the beautiful paradise valley by the side of the river of life. Up in the valley, the wonderful valley will be free. There we shall live in the rose-tinted garden Neat the shade of the evergreen tree How I long for the paradise valley Where the beauty of heaven I'll see Though your garden is rare, it is not to compare with the flowers that bloom in the garden above in the midst of it grows Sharon's perfect sweet rose tis the wonderful flower of love up in the beautiful paradise valley by the side of the river of life up in the valley the wonderful valley will be free pain and all strife. There we shall live in the rose-tinted garden neath the shade of the evergreen tree. How I long for the paradise valley where the beauty of heaven I'll see. This morning I'll be reading from Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. That they admonished their, the young woman, the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Good morning, everyone. And to our ladies, happy Mother's Day. Yeah. Well, one interesting point is that all the men that led our service today have mothers. And, of course, we all have mothers. But are you okay out there? Or am I just bombing? I'm just, it's just hitting the floor every time I launch one out there. But we're thrilled that you've chosen to be a part of our assembly today. And we have some visitors. Some of you are here for the first time. And others perhaps are here in support of your mothers. Your mothers are members here. And you wanted to be with them on Mother's Day. And that's a thrilling thing. And if you have a mother who is living today, I hope that you will take the time to... Just express your well wishes to them. It's great, isn't it, to have a memory 
of our mothers or those who served in the capacity of a mother in our lives. I knew a man whose wife had died when the children were very little, but every Mother's Day, they honored him because he had supplied that motherly care and concern over their family. I always thought that was such a beautiful thing. So whether it is your birth mother or someone who has stood in the place to guide you in your life, just please, please take the time to thank them for it. And maybe they're incapacitated some way, can't really receive what it is you want to say to them. Or maybe they have passed from this life. Isn't it great to remember those days past, the people, the mothers who influenced us for so much good, especially as we assemble on the first day of the week, we think of how they directed us to things related to the kingdom of God and serving God. What a blessing that is. Today, we're going to focus on that. And well, I've I've titled the sermon, Thank You, Mothers. So I hope that you will receive it in the spirit in which I'm planning to deliver it. But before we get to that, I just, I'm so excited about missions and what happened a few days ago with our missions collection. Let me see if I can get, okay. So you contributed $33,610. Wow. Thank you for doing that. If you want to, take your hand like this. Go ahead. It's okay. Now bend it backwards. Now pat yourself on the back. You did a good job. And thank you for that. Now I told you that my intention as kind of the chairperson for that missions committee was to spend every dime. And I, I know some of you thought, you, you're silly. But I'm not silly. I intend to do that. And so we waited a week to make sure that everybody was able to get the funds in that they had intended to contribute to this work. And then this past Monday, our mission team got together with the mindset, let's spend that money. So that's what we did. (laughs) Uh, Don Robeson, whom we had supported for one year, in fact, his year was coming to an end, and he had contacted me like, you know, what are y'all going to do? And I'm like, well, that depends on our mission Sunday. Well, I'm happy to announce that we're, our intention is to continue his work at the same rate that we did last year, $1,000 a month to 21st century missions. They have their hands in works all over the world. And in a few weeks, we're going to have Don come and to share with us the work that he does. So, whew, there was $12,000 of it. But we had so much more to go. So we recently had Ronnie Goodham come in. Last year, we gave him $2,000 out of this very same collection in order to support his work. Let me tell you something about Ronnie. Ronnie, Ronnie is from India. He had come here to the United States, went to Memphis School of Preaching in order to get his preaching education with the purpose of going back to India. He believes that it is a sin for him to stay here when he knows his people need to hear the gospel so desperately. And so he has made his journey back to India. 
when we contributed $2,000, our intention was to support him in his work, but he misunderstood. He thought we were buying Bibles for India. And so he did without that $2,000 in support of his work in order to contribute it to Bibles. And when we were talking with him, I said, now, Ronnie, I, I don't understand how we had that misconception. I said, you know, if you want to, let, let's, let's rethink that. That money should have gone to your sport. Well, you know, what would you rather do? Send Bibles to India or have your own support? And here's what he said. I would rather you just send it to India in the form of Bibles because everybody needs to have a Bible. I, I was... I was blown away by that response. Most people are concerned about their own personal support. He was concerned about how to have people know the word of God. So here's what we decided to do. We decided to double what we intended from last year to $4,000. And then we also sent him $4,000 for Bibles. So here we go. That's Wow, Ken, that's, you know, 20,000 of it. That's good enough, right? No, because we said we wanted to spend it all. So we have uh, Christ's Call in Africa, which is Terry Smith's work in Uganda. So we wanted to be a part of that. And Terry said, hey, this is a work that's basically getting off the ground. And you can support one particular area of my work. And you'll be its only support. Boy, that was a heavy weight, right? And so here's what we decided to do. We're going to send $4,800 for the year in order to support a radio program that goes out to thousands. We're also sending personal support to the number of $2,400 for Simon Odongo, who is the um, evangelist there. And then we decided to fund something that we had shared with you back in December. And that is the Sorority School of Biblical Studies. Terry said they needed $3,000 to get that off the ground. So out of this fund, we sent $3,000. Now to this point, we've spent $30,200. We still lack $3,410. Ken, what did you do with that? Well, we earmarked that money and said there are folks here we know that are gonna be going on mission trips through this year. So that money has been set aside for mission trips. So bing, bang, boom, plus, 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 plus equals, we spin it. Aren't you excited? Uh, we didn't buy any CDs. We didn't put it in our savings account. And, and here's the promise that I make to you. If we find more works during the year that clearly we won't have money for now since it's all allocated, we'll come to you for more. Okay? Nod your head this way. Now, in that meeting, I said that. I said, well, you know what? This congregation is amazing and it's giving. Well, what if, you know, we spend all this money? How are we going to? Don't worry. We will go to the congregation and I am confident that they will fill the need. And you will, won't you? Yes, we will. So thank you for that. All right, that's the end of my advertisement for today. Will you pray with me? We're going to pray that God blesses us in our study. And we are so thankful for our mothers. God will be glorified in our 
in our thinking about the role of mothers and his expectation of women toward the position of motherhood. Please, please pray with me. Father, thank you for this day, this first day of the week, the day that we come together every first day of the week to remember the death of your son. It is that death that makes this assembly possible. The majority of us have benefited from the blood that was shed to wash our sins away. We rejoice in that. We rejoice that we can sing and pray and partake of those emblems to give of our means to meditate upon your word as one body. And I pray, Father, that in all these activities, what we do is of a, a beautiful and sweet sacrifice in your presence. Be, be with us now, Father, as we review your scriptures, as we think intently upon the text that was read for us and the things that are drawn from it. We thank you for the blessing of mothers and what, what you yourself has, have invested in them and, and how in their role you are so beautifully demonstrated. Thank you for the, the privilege to have been raised by someone who took that place and nurtured us as you would have it be. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. And thank you, mothers. There is a, a sweet little statement that the Jews had. It's sweet because of the sentiment that is expressed, albeit technically untrue, it's sweet nonetheless. It goes something like God could not be everywhere, so he created mothers. Yeah, I know. It's not technically true, but think about the beauty of the thought. I guess the reality then would be in that thought and that God manifests himself in many ways through the actions of mothers, mothers who are intent on doing the things of God. I, I, would, I would love to say as I think about mothers with you today, that in their embodiment of many of the attributes and characteristics of God, that things always go very well. But that wouldn't be true, would it? Even in our experience with the very best of mothers, we know that as much as it's true that God doesn't always enjoy the best of relationships with his children, although he strives to do so, have a great relationship. Nevertheless, that's true with mothers. In fact, even if a mother did everything within her power to exhibit and follow the characteristics of God, still, there's another side to that equation, right? A mother doing her very best to nurture, to care for, to love her children. And maybe while they're young, impressionable, they're accepting of that because they're weak. 
they can't defend or care for themselves, so needy. And it is more often than not the mother or the mother figure in that life that so cares for the children and dotes over them and is their biggest cheerleader. But unfortunately, for some, as they get older, more mature, more worldly, they begin to push back against the instruction of mother. And just as is often true in the case with God, they begin to desert, to reject, to leave the righteous path that's been set before them. In Isaiah 49 and verse 15, God says through Isaiah the prophet, Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. A father holding to the line and trying to be tough and a buffer against wrong may draw a line in the sand. But it is oftentimes the mother who is the redeeming personality in that equation, who always represents an open door, a means of coming back, of reconciliation. And so that is true with God himself. Now, what God does in our text and in many other places throughout the Bible is establish what is his ideal with regard to motherhood. And the idea is that women in general are encouraged to build those attributes, to seek after that place of motherhood. Now, whether or not the woman ends up with children is really not the point. It is the development within the character of the woman to be the nurturer, to be the figure in life that cares and expresses the utmost of emotion and desire to see restoration, to really, truly love another soul. Today, within that line of reasoning of God's desire and the response that's to it, I want to just, I want to thank mothers. I want to thank mothers for attending to our needs. Now, our text is interesting because it is a description where in one generation is instructing another generation. We find out in the previous verse that it's the older women who have the responsibility, our verse, of admonishing the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. What all could those statements mean? What, what, is, what is the line of thinking? What is it that he is striving to pass from those who are experienced 
in the interpersonal workings of the relationships in our family to a younger generation of people. It's pretty interesting because a lot of times as you read through those descriptions, you immediately jump to conclusions about what you think that might mean. But immediately, at least I was, we're shocked at what he's really getting at. For instance, this first one, that they are admonished to love their husbands. Sometimes we talk about love just generally as agape. And we say, well, now agape is, is that Christian love. It's the higher love. It's the one we're called to as Christians. It's the love that God had for us in sending his son. It's the continuing love that Jesus has for us in the sense that no matter what I do, God's still going to love me. And even as a sinner, God extends himself out to save people. He loves us enough. He has agape love enough. The kind of love that we give with no expectation of return. He loves us enough. He sends his son to die for us. Wow, what love that is. And then Jesus loving us. Jesus is the standard in reaching out to people who would not respond in love to him. He becomes the standard by which we are to love our neighbor as well. Okay, that's, that's a powerful kind of love. And just, just kind of in our mind, as we read this, we might assume, well, now, can you know, in marriage relationships, sometimes you say, I love you, but boy, I'm mad at you. I love you and I, I, I have your best interest at heart, but I'll never forgive you. Or, you know, we come up with all kinds of little trite sayings that we think are justified so that ultimately I'm going to give you the greatest kind of love, but you've, you know, you've just kind of got on my wrong side. And so I can hold this offense against you. I cannot like you and still love you at the same time. And sometimes, uh, I don't know, I hear people tell jokes about marriage and so forth, and they deride a spouse or they make fun of them. And while that might all be in fun, sometimes I think, well, that sounds like that didn't come from a good place. You know what I mean? Like, I love you and I don't mind kidding around about the thing, but here's kind of how I feel. Ha ha. That's not what this text says. This text does not say agape your husbands. Have the ultimate love for them, but if you don't like them, that's okay. Actually, he uses the word phileo. Love your husband. Here's, here's the expression, have affection for them. Care about them. Care about your husband. Not just that I don't want to see any harm come to him. Actually, I have feeling for him. Have feeling. You know that passage from Proverbs chapter 31? Sometimes we call it the ideal woman, the virtuous wife. That thing starts off not just describing her attributes, but the beautiful interworking of the relationship between the husband and the wife. Verses 10, 11, and 12. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. 
the heart of her husband safely trusts her so that he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. What is her life taken up in? Well, well, we can go verse by verse and describe her industriousness and boy, she just really gets it all done. But wait, stop, back up. All of her life, her desire is to bring blessings into the life of her husband. Her desire is to see that her counterpart in this world is blessed. Because I'm going to suggest to you that just as much as he is blessed by her action, so she is in the reciprocation that comes from the demonstration of that love and those acts. What do you mean by that? Sometimes, and I think especially in our culture, we have gotten the idea that, you know, yeah, marriage, that's fine, but you know, the woman is often depicted as being in a, a second class kind of position in this marriage relationship. That is not true. That is not a biblical definition of that relationship at all. Remember back with me the very beginning when all of this was started. In Genesis at chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, the woman has been created. She was not made from the dust of the ground, separate from the man. She actually was created from the man. So something was taken from him, a rib, and she was created or fashioned or made with that rib into the fullness of what was removed. In other words, a portion of what he was became her. And then the indication was that that which was whole had been separated to make the two a companion, which would be a helper united together in marriage to become one. When Adam saw this, he said, she is now, listen now, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from the man. And a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, if you can wrap your mind around what Adam understood there in that very moment, it's like this woman right here at one point, not so long ago, was actually a part of my physical body. I couldn't even see her. I mean, I had one body. And now God has taken bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And he, is, he has made this woman. In fact, in the Hebrew, the word for woman is isha. And those who read that in a public way, use, use the picture of Adam standing there and seeing this, this woman that God has made. And he's just overwhelmed. He just goes, isha. Like, wow. Woman, it isn't just a sexual attraction. It is the yearning of the body to be one again. And so it is in the relationship between the husband and the wife. The two have become one flesh, not separate anymore, 
but combined together. She was to be a helper comparable to him. Now, what I'm getting at there is in that simple, beautiful description of what happened there in the garden in the creation of the woman is not a second class part of a marriage relationship. She is the equal in the sense that she came out of the man and now she is joined back to the man. Sometimes we get all wrapped up and squirrely with the responsibilities that God has laid out for the husband and the wife in their relationship. Just stand back from that for a moment. Yeah, everybody has responsibilities. You and I as Christians have responsibilities. We were talking a moment ago about elders and deacons. Not everybody's qualified to be an elder or a deacon, but everybody can be a Christian. Everybody is equal in terms of their Christianity, although some are called to various works. We understand that, I hope. And so it is true in the marriage relationship. It absolutely makes sense then that the wife, because he's not, he's not opposed to me. We're not in a fight against one another. We're not competing against one another. We are one. We are together, bound together. And even Jesus says that what God has joined together, let not man separate. Can you imagine? It was God who separated that rib and made the woman. No man stood in and could fashion such a beautiful thing. No. What God has joined together. So the wife, the woman, was being instructed by the older women to love their husbands, and to love their children. Okay, again, the jokes fly, and, you know, especially children when they're little can be a frustration, and they can drive us crazy. But how precious little children are. Again, it's not agape love. You know, I love you, I'm going to feed you, but I can't stand you, you're getting on my nerves. <laughs> no, no. It's, again, that word phileo. Have affection for those children. Really care for them. The emotion of those relationships. I tell you, kid can make a mess, but when they look at you with those doughy little eyes, so needy and so helpless and so sorry, until about five seconds from now, there again is just a beautiful expression of innocence and of love. And a mother, a mother is to demonstrate that love. In fact, there's, there's kind of a hidden thing in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 3. Sometimes you miss it because the newer translations actually translate the word as unloving, unloving. But the word there is astorge, astorge. That just means the opposite of storge. Storge is family love, familial love. I'm in this relationship with my family. I have love for them as a family love. To not have that used to be translated this way, that the person did not have natural affection. Natural affection. Stop and just let that soak in a moment. It is natural to have affection for the child. If if there is no affection for the child, something has happened that is unnatural. 
Now, I understand sometimes maybe it's a a chemical imbalance that has occurred, a true health crisis that has taken place. Then, Then that needs to be remedied because the natural thing, the normal thing is for a mother to love her child. When our first son was born, I was right there in the delivery room. Against my will, I might add, but the doctor said, oh, this is good, this is not... I was like, no, no, no. But there I was. You know, all of the, all of the trauma and the excitement of, of what happened, I hardly remember at all. Now, I know that's, that's often said about the woman who's given birth. Oh, you know, she just doesn't remember how it was. And then, you know, there's the desire to have more children. She remembered how it was. Boy, she wouldn't want to have any more kids. I understand because I was there. But actually... I guess as as traumatic as it must have been for her. I'm standing there just as an observer. And it was traumatic for me too. But there is something that I do remember. And that is when Drew took his first breath in this world. I stood there and I wept. I can't explain it to you. There was that baby... And that was my son. I was just overwhelmed with emotion. I loved that little fella and still do with all my heart. But here's the thing. As much as as I felt that way as a bystander, and the father no less, but as a bystander, I, I can't even begin to tell you the love that his mother has for him and still does. And it is in that love that has helped to carry me in moments when maybe I wasn't the kind of loving person or wasn't at the level I should have been because of circumstances that had arisen. A mother's love is incomparable, but it's, he's not stressing the agape love. I would do anything for you, son. No, it's I care about you. Uh, Aside from just making sure that you have food or that you're clothed or that we keep you in a house, I'm going to provide for you. I I like you. You know, I want you here. That's what's being expressed. Well, if we have relationships that have been broken, severed, let's make sure as parents, especially as we're thinking today as mothers, that that severing didn't come from our end of it that we always have affection for our children. He said to be chaste or discreet. To be discreet literally means to be sober-minded. To be sober-minded would mean to live moderately. What do you mean moderately? Well, things like, since it's sober-minded, control. Control over thoughts. Control over temper. Control over the tongue. 
How did you arrive at tongue following thoughts and temper? <laughs> well, that's how it goes, isn't it? We think, then we speak in our anger, our temper. James said in James chapter 3, beginning at verse 6, The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. For with it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. To be discreet in control, sober-minded, is to be in control of our, our words, our thoughts, the expression of the inner being. Now, how best to control that is to have a spirit that is governed by God, not driven by worldly things, which, le which is closely akin to the very next thing that he expresses, and that is that she have purity within her life to be chaste. Pure in what way? Well, again, the same kind of thoughts come along uh, in thought, in words, in actions. Th those are dem demonstrated in an outward fashion in the way that a woman dresses, the kind of attention that she brings to herself. It's important that a woman demonstrate herself in purity in the effort to have that same influence upon the children. Okay, so the child's in school and there's disruptions, or the child behaves in an unseemly manner. Oh, what's at the root of that? Oftentimes it's discovered that they're very much like their parents. They learn those things at home. You know, you've heard many times, well, who taught you that? Where'd you learn that word? From dad or Far be it from us today, right? From mother. What the child sees as an example in the life of their parents, especially the mother they spend so much time with, becomes part of the character and the expression in the life of the child. It says not only that, but to be a homemaker. Uh-oh, there's another one of those bad words. Homemaker. Is that another demonstration of second-class citizen? Second-class position in the home? Oh, dad's supposed to go out and make a living. Mom has to stay home, wash dishes, take care of the kids, make the bed, sweep the house, blah, blah, blah. There's no condemnation in regard to a woman working outside the home. But you do understand that the woman is very literally the queen of her home in the sense that she is the keeper of the home. Now, whether she works outside the home or not, that's a moot point. There is a responsibility laid upon her, according to this passage, to be the homemaker, to see to it that the home is placed in order. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, he said that these will be saved in childbearing, if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. I think he's talking 
about a grander scheme of things, but what it ultimately boils down to is a person fulfilling the responsibility that's been laid upon them. If you'll do that, if you'll take up the position that God has given you and fulfill it, then God will bless and there will be, well, a good outcome, which brings us to our next word, <laughs> being, being good. Good is an expression, both of the outward display of it and what is in the heart. And again, if we would draw from Proverbs 31, it has so many beautiful descriptions of this godly woman. In verse 26, the text says that she opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. I don't really have to tell you what that means. You see it a lot, right? We know it when we see it. That is those beautiful words that come out of the mouth of a godly woman. And then he kind of sums up the attributes by saying that she is obedient to her own husband. I thought the way that that was laid out was pretty interesting. So I thought maybe we ought to follow that up. What, what does he mean that she is obedient to her own husband. Turns out that that same kind of phrasing is found in other places related to the wife and her husband. For instance, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. Wives, submit to your, there it is again, your own husband as to the Lord. So there's, you know how you submit to the Lord? That's how you do it to your own husband. In 1 Peter chapter 3 at verse 1, wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands. Okay, so in these descriptions of how the wife is to be submissive or as, as this translation said, to be obedient to her husband, it is to her own husband. In other words, it, it isn't expected of you to be obedient to every man that comes along. You're not obedient to somebody else's husband. You are one with this one husband that you love. This one husband that you have committed yourself to. You're not to be led astray by the thinking or the dictates of someone else. You are bound together with this one who is effectively your head in this relationship. So in terms of obedience or submission or relationship, he is the one. I think that has powerful implications. He doesn't just say, women, be obedient again, as though they were subservient to everybody. He says in this marital relationship, remember who your husband is. That's that person that you love, or Ephesians 5 describes that you respect. The one that you are in this reciprocating relationship with. Now, all of these things are lined up and weighed against the very last thing that he says, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. First Peter 3, again, beginning at verse 1, wives likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. 
Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. There, there are a lot of attributes that are described there we've already gone over. But I want you to notice this, that even if the husband was not submitted to God, even if the husband had not submitted himself in obedience to the gospel, he says, you go ahead and live like he is anyway. You live like a Christian. You submit yourself to him in this home. You, you honor him. You're married. So reciprocate in this relationship in equality as ones. And you don't rise up against him to dominate. You live this life in such a way as to exhibit your Christian qualities in the hope that through his observance of that, you may lead him to Jesus. To live otherwise, to kick back against the attributes that we have already seen in our text or those that Peter emphasized in his, is not just to put your own self in danger, but it's to put in danger your husband. And in effect, by living contrary to the commandment of God to blaspheme the very word that you are purported to be holding on to. Uh, just, if you're a mother in the hearing of my voice today, and as we went through these things, I don't know, we have a tendency just to check things off, don't we? As we went through those, and that's what you did, I just, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for being what God has called you to be, for attending to all of our needs. And I also want to thank you for being sympathetic to our hurts. Okay, so I mentioned that mother is the queen of her home. When you think of the home, what comes to mind? Maybe you think about comfort. I hope you do. Joy. Good times. Maybe you think about help. Maybe you think about love. Have you ever been in those sessions where someone asked you, they said, okay, now you know, we're going to go through one of these meditation uh, moments, these techniques to kind of reduce your stress. So take your mind to a happy place. Now, if you were conditioned to do it, you know, a lot of them will start by saying, now think about a stream. And so maybe that's what you do. You think about a stream, a little brook, whatever. When someone asks me to go to my happy place, I think back to my childhood. And it isn't just the images that come to my mind. It is a total sensuous kind of experience. I don't just see images in my mind. You know, I can, I can smell the cinnamon, maybe, that was sprinkled over some dessert that's sitting out. 
I can smell the abundance of butter everywhere. I think about how my mother expressed her love for us. I can see her yet as a little child. I can't tell you how old I am lying on that bed, but I remember my mother leaning over me to kiss me goodnight, to tell me how much she loved me. You have images like that when people ask you to remember a happy time, something that was sweet. Mother truly is the queen of the home. She is the queen of home, an everlasting home. Similar, as we said, to God. Many a man who's been beaten up by an unforgiving world, maybe all of his earnings have been lost, his friends have left him, he has nowhere to turn. But now he remembers that happy place. And he makes his way back home. Maybe he's imagining what he would have to say to his mother that he has neglected for so long. But when she answers the phone or greets him at the door, hi, honey, welcome home. An embrace, a kiss, seems like without having said a word that everything's okay. Many people treat God that way too, don't they? They neglect Him. They spend time away from Him. But when they repent, when they assert that they're going to do better, maybe they have the heart that that prodigal son had. I'll just go back and I'll be a servant. You know, I'm just happy to be in association again, whether I get the perks of sonship or not. But that isn't how the Father reacts. The father demonstrates in that moment the compassion and the love of a mother in embracing a child that has finally come back home. Let me cherish you again. Let me try to soothe the hurt and care for your pain. But again, how many times is God treated like that great tower? A place to which we run when the storm of life is raging. And Lord, help me, Lord, help me. And then when that storm passes, we just as easily walk back through that door and depart. Oh, how God would wish a million times over that we would respond in the similar fashion of a child to his mother who pats the head and tells them it's going to be okay, and without even expressing the words, make a commitment of a lifelong love for our mother. Mother is considered by many to be the spark plug of the home, the point around which everything else works. We derive our strength and our power through her charge. The Bible describes a lot of relationships, but some of the most beautiful are between those men that we esteem as great among us and their mothers. Moses, the deliverer, the lawgiver of Israel, was that 
in large part to his mother, Jochebed, who helped preserve his life in the beginning and instructed him the things about Israel such that when he came to maturity, he chose to be with his own people rather than to enjoy the pleasures of Egypt. Samuel, the last and great of the judges, the one who became the transitional person to to bridge the gap between what had been and what would be, to, to see the establishment of a throne that would never go away, never perish, never be defeated. Samuel and his mother Hannah, who prayed for him, And who brought those little coats to care for him as he began his work in the temple places. And Timothy, whose mother Eunice and grandmother Lois, who had tremendous faith and whose faith was established in him. We are blessed because of mothers And when mothers live according to the described attributes and characteristics of Scripture, those are mothers who are remembered. Again, in Proverbs 31, verses 28, 29, and 30, are these words. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you... Excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Today's design is to thank mothers, to thank you for looking out for us, to care for us, to see to it that we stay on the right path in life's journey but only you know the heartache that you endure, the suffering maybe that's come at our own hands. I hope that if we are responsible for that, we're genuinely sorry and would seek to be restored in our relationship. But mother, if there are things that are hurting you today, you're agonizing over something, let's pray about that, okay? We love you for what you represent in the kingdom of God. And we want to be supportive. Maybe you're not a child of God today. There's no greater blessing you could give your children than obedience to the gospel and then leading them to obey the gospel. Or maybe you've obeyed the gospel, but there are things that have led you astray. Get those things behind you. Father, have you been supportive of the mother in the home? If you've been neglectful of supporting this person that God has put so much investment in, then you need to repent. Otherwise, let's just, let's just rejoice and be thankful for our mothers. If there's anybody who needs to respond today for any reason, now's your opportunity. Why don't you come if you need to while we stand together and sing. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power.
drinking power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Come for a cleansing to Calvary's side. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you live daily his praises to sing? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the The song before the invitation song, and I oh, the song before the Lord's Supper this morning will be Thomas' song, 269. Thomas' song. Let's all sing. Jesus, you were all to me. Why did you die on Calvary? I failed to see how this could be part of the plan. They say that you're alive again, but I saw death and every sin reach out to claim their darkest wind. How could this be part of the if I could only hold your hand and touch the scars where nails were driven, I would need to feel your side where holy flesh by spear was riven, then I'd believe, only then I'd believe. Holy presence, holy face, a vision filling time and space. 
Your nearness makes my spirit race. Could this be part of the plan? I see the wounds that cause the cry from heaven, ocean, earth, and sky. When people watched their Savior die, could this be part of the the scars where nails were driven coming near I feel your side where holy flesh by spear was riven now I believe Jesus now I believe your cruel death was part I proudly say with blazon cry, You are my Lord and my God. As we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, if there's anyone that needs an emblem, please raise your hand. As we prepare to remember Jesus' death, I want to read Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 27. It said, Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into headquarters and gathered the whole company around him. They stripped him and dressed him in a scarlet military robe. They twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and placed a reed in his right hand. They knelt down before him and mocked him, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spit on him, took the reed and kept hitting him on the head. When they mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, put his clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. And in that moment, the most unselfish act in the history of mankind took place. Mercy and compassion on a level never seen before. Mercy and compassion for generations of people who would live thousands of years later. And that's why we're here right now and what we're here to do. Bow with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for this bread we're about to receive, which represents Jesus' body. We pray that we partake of this in a manner that pleases you. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bow with me. Likewise, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this cup, which represents Christ's blood. Our prayer is that we also partake of it in a manner that is pleasing unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. Supper, where I have this opportunity to give. If you would bow with me. Our kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And we thank you for the opportunities we have to earn a living for our families. May we give back a portion of thee that you have so richly blessed us with. These blessings we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning and welcome to the Boonville Church of Christ on this beautiful Sunday morning, Mother's Day, May the 14th, 2023. We had 335 in services this morning. I have several announcements. I have a card here. Thanks so much, dear church family. Thanks so much for all your prayers during my accident, for your visits, food, and calls. Also, thank God for live streaming. I was there with you, but I just couldn't talk to you or shake your hand. Uh, yours in Christ, Luther Mormon. You'll see in the bulletin where it says a Super Saturday 2023 will be June the 10th. 
uh, from 9 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. There is a list out in the foyer that if you're planning on attending and you want to eat chicken, you need to sign up so they'll know how much chicken to buy. So if you're going to... Okay, the, uh, the chicken is going to be for next Sunday night. Yes, that, uh, okay, but, there, but there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer. If you're going to be here and you want to eat chicken, be sure and sign that form, okay? And, and on an opposite note, the pizza social scheduled for next Sunday for the high school seniors has been canceled. Uh, we do have one prayer request. Uh, Joe Parker, this is Johnny Parker's father. He's in the hospital in Gupport. We need to remember him in prayer. And that is all the announcements I have this morning. Happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers. Would y'all please stand for our closing prayer? Our dear, most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we do once again thank you for the opportunity we've had to come out and study your word once again. Lord, we pray that what we've learned, may we apply it to our lives and may, as a result, that we better serve you. Lord, we ask your blessings upon Joe Parker, Lord, who's in the hospital in Hattiesburg. Lord, bless him, and may your will be done in his life. Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross of Calvary for the sins of the world. Forgive us, Lord, wherein we have sinned against you. For this we ask in Christ's name. Amen.